Good morning, my name is Julian Shung. Our reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. Good morning again, everybody. I'm excited to introduce you guys to Manawa Aligwe. Manawa is somebody who I met not too long ago, actually just in the spring. We were at some pastor's conference and event in D.C. dealing with uh, race in the church, and, and I saw my friend Todd Smedley, who is the pastor of Fourth Prez, and he and I went to a seminary together at Gordon-Conwell, and he introduced me to Manawa and said that he's serving there as a pastoral intern, and he's a great preacher. Oh, and he lives in the Vienna area, and I said, ah... <laughs> This is so great. He didn't say great um, preacher. He no, he great. did, he did. He said, he told me that on the side. He said, you're, he said he's a very gifted preacher. Um, and so I'm excited to have Manawa here. Manawa um, is from the area, from the Springfield area, um, and is also lives out kind of Wolf Trap area. Yep, and yep. He, he's married to Maria, and they have three, three kids, 15 yep. down to something. Seven and three, I think. Right. Okay. Something like, something like that. Yeah. Let me say a word of prayer for you Please. before you bring God's word to us. Lord Jesus, this is your servant, Manawa, and you have put God's word on, your word on his heart for us. And so prepare our hearts to receive the word of God for us this day. Bless his thoughts, his words, and the spirit of God moving through him and us as we receive what you would give us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Sorry, I'm still getting used to this. Um. I'd be remiss if I didn't publicly thank Johnny for allowing me to be here. I will tell you guys this. He, you guys have a pretty cool pastor. <laughs> Don't tell him that too much, but he's a pretty cool guy. And um, my wife and my girls were excited to be here. We're thankful to be here this morning to be able to worship with you all. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll see what God has to say. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray afresh this hour, Lord, that you would uh, be our teacher that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. We pray, God, that we may obey your word with our whole hearts. I ask now that your spirit, Lord, would allow me to speak clarity, uh, with passion, God, with conviction, with humility. And we give all the glory to Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. So the book of Genesis is known as the seed plot of the Bible. God laid down a plan to establish humanity through Adam and Eve and what I would call the first great commission, which is in Genesis 
128 where it says, be fruitful and multiply. This was a plan that God had given to them that was good, it was perfect, and they were pretty clear about how they were to accomplish this. But we see that it didn't take long before man would deviate from God's plan. We saw this play out in the fall, that mankind had increased their sins beyond the measure. In fact, Genesis 6, 6 says that the Lord regretted that he made man and that it had grieved his heart. He imagined the heart of the Lord being grieved. It's pretty clear and pretty obvious why God wanted to get rid of, get rid of all of creation. But a man named Noah found favor with the Lord. And so in Noah, we see that there's a reset that took pla- take place. Last week, as Johnny brought the message from chapter 9, we see that the Lord is continuing the same way of how he will bring about redemption through his people. The Lord does not change his mind. It's almost as if we could have said, Lord, we, that doesn't work. Being fruitful and multiplying God, that, that, that's not how it works. We've already tried that. But we see that the Lord was faithful in how he would bring about redemption in his people. So in the passage that we read this morning in chapter 11, first, four, uh, first nine verses, backing up one chapter, in chapter 10, what we see there is the descendants of Noah. This is the list of genealogies that I know you guys read. You guys read the, the begot, we begot someone else. Yeah, we, I know you guys read that. Um, but that goes, that plays out through the entire chapter 10, all 32 verses. And then it pauses for a bit, and then it picks up again in chapter 11, verse 10. And then sandwiched between that, though, is a story about a nation who desired to build a tower, a nation who desired to make a name for themselves, a nation who wanted to be separate from God, to be in defiance with God. What we'll see is that they had many great and ambitious plans. And I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with having goals or aspiring to want to do things, but what we'll see is that the plans that they had did not begin with God. They did not consult the Lord before they planned. So for Christians, ultimately, while planning is helpful and it's quite necessary, planning in itself is just not enough. This is why the psalmist in 127, verse 1, says that unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with the centuries will do no good. You see, ultimately, we cannot do anything of lasting value unless God blesses our work, unless God establishes our plans. Nothing we do on our own will stand the test of time. So what we see here in these nine verses, let me first put the text within context, right? Um, what we see is now there's, there's lofty ambitions of one man that led to many wanting to walk away from God's will. In chapter 10, the chapter you guys read, um, verse 8 introduces us to a man named Nimrod. He was said to be a mighty hunter before the Lord. He was a great and powerful king. And it goes on to say that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And it lists some other ones. And then it says in the land of Shinar. So in chapter 10, we get a glimpse into his reign as king, as he is credited as the leader of the people who would make their way to Babel. Some of you may not be familiar with the people of Babylon. That's totally fine. I have one text I think will kind of give you guys a picture of what this nation was like. This is from Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, and it says, 
On her forehead was written a, a, a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. See there, we get a picture, we get a window into what the spirit of the civilization was like and how they outright defied God. They wanted to be separate from God. They wanted a community, but they wanted it apart from God's blessings, apart from God's promises. So this text, we have nine verses. The first four, I've I've broken it up into two scenes. It feels like it's a movie scene. It feels like there's a lot happening in in nine verses. And so I've broken it up into two scenes, if you guys can bear with me. Scene one begins with sinful men desire to build their own fame for their own glory. We'll see in the first four verses the pride of man in building a tower for his own name. The opening statements of the chapter begins with the whole earth had one language and the same words. The story begins with the unity of language in verse 1, and it ends with confusion of language in verse 9. There the Lord confused the language of all the earth. See, the author here begins the scene and tells us that they spoke the same language, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with speaking the same language. In fact, the opposite would actually be kind of strange if you didn't speak the same language. But it's the fact that the same language would allow a community to flourish. It would allow a community to, uh, to thrive. Communicating the same language would actually be the infrastructure of unity. Colossians 4, 6 says that, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. So you see, speaking the same language is ordinary knowledge of how we are to communicate with one another, how we are to even show love. In fact, the same language would allow us to even worship as we did this morning, would allow us to pray and to be able to sing songs together. So the same language, languages in itself are God's gift to humanity. But... Like every other gift of grace, humanity always finds a way to misuse those gifts. That left to ourselves, we find creative ways to misappropriate God's gifts of graces. So the author draws our attention that something as common as language would be used to pervert, to promote disobedience and unbelief. Remember, God's words were different. God's words said to to be scattered, to go into all parts of the earth, to populate, to go out into the ends of the earth. But their words were to settle. Their words were to stay put. And so, but the question is, why do they decide to settle? Well, there's three visions that they have for themselves. The first one is a vision for a city. As you see, they settled in Shinar. Verse two says that, The people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Moving eastward was not simply about geography. This language of moving east is consistent throughout Genesis. You probably remember in Genesis 2a, after the fall, Adam and Eve were exiled to the east of the garden. Genesis 3.24, the cherubim was posted on the east to prohibit Entrance, And as you'll soon find out in a few weeks in Genesis chapter 13, when Lot divided and departed from Abraham, he journeyed east to Sodom, where men were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. So this idea of moving east symbolizes a movement away from God's promises and away from God's blessings. 
The imagery here is to show that humanity's increasing shift from turning from what God desires, turning from what God promised, to turning to themselves, to turning inward. And so, but if we're, if we're truly honest, even this idea itself of going away from God isn't really that new to our culture, is it? We probably can look around in our life and see many people are going away from God, turning away from God. Christians, do not be surprised at this. Paul, Paul warns of this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul warns of this. I'm not, I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but I'm going to summarize that. He says that there will be times of difficulty. He says that, that people will become lovers of self. They'll be abusive. They'll be arrogant. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says that they will be learned. They will know things, but never able to arrive at truth. See, many will go away. But then Paul says, as for you, in the verse 6, as for you, continue in what you have learned. Lean not on your own wisdom, but lean on the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. He says, many go away, as many are weary. We can find rest. We can find rest in our great and high priests. So as they find rest, the people here find rest. They settle in Shinar. This is an act of disobedience. Um, God had commanded them to spread and fill the earth, not to congregate, but to be fruitful, to be abundant throughout the earth. And so as they had this vision for themselves, they also had a vision for their name. They desired reputation. They desired to be known. This is why they said it in verse 4. They say, come, let us build for ourselves a city. Let us build a city for our name. See, building a city for their own name is not what the Lord commanded them to do. The interesting thing that God doesn't even say, multiply, be abundant in my name. He never says that. But they say, we want to build a tower. We want to do this for our own name. They want it credit for. They want it to be glorified in their building. This is opposite of what Paul teaches the Corinthians. To the Corinthians, Paul says it differently. He says that, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Anything. He says that if it's as simple as eating, I'm still figuring out how to eat to the glory of God, but if it's as simple as eating, Paul wants to make it clear that it's, this, there's nothing too small you should, be, you should do without God. So if it's eating or drinking or if it's whatever you do, he says do it to the glory of God. Continues this thought in Colossians. He says whatever you do, whether it be in word, or D, the words that you speak, the words that you speak should, be, should glorify the Lord. And so what we see here is that these city builders are prideful to try and find significance, try to find importance, placing their achievements above God. They, they, were, they were not simply interested in just making a city. They, they wanted their names in the skies. They wanted their name above. They, they wanted to creep up into heaven and to dethrone God and let their names be exalted. But we all know that, that there's only one name that's exalted in the highest place. There's only one name that is above every name. That's Jesus. But for them, God was not enough. Yahweh was not enough. They wanted their tower exalted, and they wanted their names exalted in the heavens. This is why they say, come together. 
Let's come together and, and for ourselves, let us just build a city. We'll, we'll build this city and we'll, we'll take God out of the equation. We'll, we'll put God to the side and, and we, we can do this ourselves. We're pretty good at this thing. We got it figured out. We're, 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 we're smart. We have some knowledge. We have some intellectuals on our team. We have the latest technology. We've made bricks. We have mortar. We, we've created some things. In fact, because we've created, we're like God. Well, let's go further. We're, we're not, we are gods. We're, we're gods of our life because we can create now. See, there's a false narrative out here that says that we can live and we can exist in our God-given gifts. It's the idea of loving the gift more than the gifter. But every mature Christian would know that to come to knowledge, to know that our human abilities, our skills, our passion, our, our, everything that we do in terms of our existence should always be to glorify the Lord, not ourselves. So as they had this vision for their name, they wanted this reputation. Um, they also had a vision for their tower. Look at, verses, uh, look at verse 4. It says, come let us... Build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves so that they would not be scattered. You see, this tower in the heavens, tower with its tops in the heavens, was built by the latest technology at the time. They had bricks and mortar, and they, what they would do is they, they basically built this, this building, this tower. Now we call it a tower of religion. The reason for that is that this, this technology that they had, that they possessed, they wanted to use this technology to build something that would bring many to worship them, that would bring many from far and wide to glorify them as these builders. You see, this city was going to be a place where people's achievements and people's accomplishments would be honored and would be exalted above all things. This would be a place that if you desired to be known, you wanted to be popular, you wanted notoriety, this is the place you would go. People would come from miles. They would be satisfied, inspired even to do away with the things of old and for them to be gods of their own lives. The thing is that you, they could do and be anything they want, and no one, including God, can tell them otherwise. It's the idea that there are no such things as limitations, that limits are only things that live in your mind, that we can actually go beyond these limits. We can trespass anything. In fact, there's no such thing as trespassing. And if you see limits, it's because your vision is too small. And because you've come to Shinar, we built the tower to show you that our visions were the heavens and we've gotten there. We've built a mountain top that would allow us to encroach the heavenly places. This tower would give us front door access to the place where God resides. And we would walk up in there and we would actually overrule and overthrow God and we would just be gods of our own lives. I know hearing this is kind of funny. Like, did they not know God? Were they not aware of who God is? Were they not aware of what happened in the flood a few chapters ago? 
where they're not aware of God's authority, where they're not scared of God's might, God's strength, are we not scared of God's might and God's strength? Is our culture not afraid of God's might and God's strength? Paul, Paul makes it clear that, that we all know. He says it in Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, it's not that people don't know God when they rebel against him. They actually do. Within the human mind, within the human heart, God has made himself aware to everyone. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. So there's a longing for God in everyone. But it's the fact that they chose not to honor God. Because to glorify him as God is to regard proper reverence for all his perfections and all his laws and all his commands. To revere his name is to revere his power, to be pleased with his perfections, to humble ourselves under his holiness, and to find joy in his presence. Willingness to honor God as God, to obey, to love, and to follow him. But instead, they were fixated on themselves. They desired their own plans over God's plans. The question you have to ask is, why did they do this? Why would they replace the, the wisdom and knowledge of God for the wisdom and knowledge of man? Or why would they, why would they trade God's ocean of graces for muddles, puddles of sin? The answer to that is in verse 4. The last part of verse 4 where it says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. You see, they were willing to transgress against God, willing to say no to God, willing to say no to God's plan, no to God's order, to fulfill personal aspirations. See, what God desired for them was no longer important. What they wanted for themselves, what their hearts and minds desired, were more important than what God wanted for them. God desired for them to simply fill the earth, to be fruitful sojourners across, across God's land. But they wanted safety. They wanted a place to call their home. They were happy about the way things were. They wanted security in their own hands. They wanted to make themselves comfortable where they were. Perhaps it was fear of loss. Maybe it was the fact that they had a home, they had a place to call home, and now God was saying, you have to leave this place. I don't know, maybe it was also fear of a loss of identity. They identified with this community, they identified with this place, and now the Lord was telling them to go out. Maybe also it was the fear of losing close relationships. I got these people, these are the people that I know, I'm comfortable here. Uh, I, I know them, they know me, and now, God, you're asking me to go out and you're asking me to make new relationships. But God, we've already fostered a thing here. Remember, this is a new world. Things were beginning to take shape. Things were beginning to look good. We were starting to get this sense of community here. And now God says, no, 
We want you scattered? You want us dispersed? They're like, no, we found meaning here, Lord. We found value. In the city of comfort, city of familiarity, we have found purpose here. As they, as they found purpose, the city, this place, would be a place that if people wanted to know truth, that they wanted to have purpose or see purpose, they would draw near to here. They would draw near to Shinar. This is where they would come if they wanted to have purpose. Yet not aware, they were actually speaking in defiance with what Christ said. Christ said that, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets access to the heavenly places with, except through me. You don't just make a tower and get to God. You, you come through me. So instead of building an altar for their God, they built a tower of self-worship unto themselves. A lot of drama in the first scene. But scene two gets better. Scene two, God not only stops and confuses, but he uses that to bring glory to his son, Christ Jesus. What we see here is that God's response to man's pride. Look at verse five. It says that, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. See, what they thought were skyscrapers peeking into the clouds was so small from God's vantage point that he had to come down to see it. We know that God's omniscient. We know that, that God is anywhere and everywhere at all times. We understand that. And they, but, but from their perspective, they thought the tower was so high. They thought they were creeping up to the heavenly places. But the Lord said, I'm seated on my throne. I don't see your tower. I don't notice what you're doing. So I have to come down to see exactly what's going on. This is human rebellion is divine comedy. Psalm 2 really makes this clear. It says that while the nations conspire and the people plot in vain and the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What does this say? It says the, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. God laughs at man's puny attempt to get rid of him. So God interferes. God intervenes into man's plans. Not that he's unaware. God is sovereign. Things are taking courses he's planned it, but he determined at this moment that enough is enough. That the plans of man are like plans of a child and I will stop them. The Lord responds though. Look how he responds. The Lord responds to man's sinful acts, not to condemn, but to deliver. See, this is stiff neck self-interested idol worshipers who deserved condemnation because in their hearts they wanted to be God. But notice how God responds. Verse 7, which I didn't write here for some reason. <laughs> Verse 7 says, Come let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. God brings confusion, not condemnation. See, we see God responding in mercy in the fact that, I know in our text it says Lord, but this, this name Lord is communicated as Yahweh. This is a name that offers grace, 
That brings compassion. It brings forgiveness. And so as we see the Lord Yahweh moving towards this people, he sees right through their schemes. He knows exactly what's truly holding them together. That it's not their aspirations that's holding them together. It's not their their collective minds about building this tower that's holding them together. It's, it's, It's not the fact that they are community now. It's not even the lack of their faith that's holding them together. It's their language. Do you see the difference between how God judges and how we judge? You see, when we see a problem of another, we, we, look at the, we tend to not look at the center of the cause. We tend to focus on the results. We want to make sure that the punishment fits the crime. And every Christian would agree that if you read this text that these people wanted to be God, and so rightful punishment for anyone who wants to be God should be what? Condemnation. Should be the fullness of God's wrath poured out on these people now. But praise be to God for what Isaiah says. He says that, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. He goes on, I just love this picture. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God deals with disobedience and grace because ultimately he knows what this evil will bring. God sees that it would be to mankind's final downfall if he were to allow this to continue. We don't understand where our sin will take us. We don't understand the the length and the breadth and depth of our sins. We don't understand, but the Lord does. And God discerns that this is the end. He says it in verse 6. He says that they have all one language, and he says that this is only the beginning of what they will do. So God determines that this is enough and that this enterprise needs to stop, and so he actively interferes. See, they have taken counsel with one another, but now we see the divine counsel of God. We see the triune God in his fullness saying, let us go down. With unbound resources, with limitless capabilities, the Lord goes down. But notice how he interferes. He doesn't send angels. He doesn't send fire from the sky. Um, but he performs a miracle of confusing the minds and speech of the builders. You see, the divine purpose of the confusion, he says it, so that they will not understand one another's speech. I know you want to know how does this happen. I don't know. It doesn't say it in Genesis. I don't know. I'm only left to speculate. I don't know if it was gradual, if it just happened, if it was immediate, if they just, one was speaking one language, one was speaking. I don't, I have no clue. We don't know that. But what we do know is that divine wisdom determined that this would be the most effective way for God to fulfill his plan, his purpose, and his will of what? Genesis 128. Multiply. Be fruitful. See, left left on our own, we are all wayward, lost, rebellious sheep. Praise God that he is our great shepherd. So God's purpose was to scatter them through all parts of the earth into different countrysides with different cultures, with varying languages. But the question we have to ask before we go is why? Is it to say that unity of nations and communities speaking the same language is against God? No. 
This, is, this might hurt some feelings, though. It's okay, Pastor. This might hurt some feelings, but God is not interested in you being united because of your personal reasons. You're not united because you live in the same community. God doesn't care that you're united because you have the same cultural background. God's not concerned with you being united because you like the same things. None of that matters while you're united. You're united because of one person, because of Christ. Ephesians 2 says this, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. You who were once far away from God, you who were dispersed, have now been brought near to, uh, to him through the blood of Christ. See, you are united. You who were once dispersed, you are now united in Christ. We are united under Christ's lordship, under his kingdom, under his rule, under his authority. I want to tell you this too. We're not united as friends. We're not united as church friends. We're not united as Facebook friends. The Bible says that we're united as brothers and sisters, which means that I'm, we are more related than our family and friends who don't know Christ. Hi, brother. Hi, sister. We are more related than our family who don't know Christ. In the last two verses, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. First, the people came and said, come, let us make for ourselves a name. And then the Lord said, come, let us confuse their language. You see, it's easy to read a story like this in the Old Testament and pass judgment quickly and say, well, these people are different. These are, these are wayward, godless people. But in fact, is that if you think about today, many, many do not have loyal for the Lord. Many have turned from God. Many are just like the people in Babylon. So the question is, are we truly immune to temptations that we faced? That are there any human-made stairways to heaven that you've built in your life? Are, are your accomplishments drawing more attention to you than is bringing glory to God? Like, are your goals in line with God's will? See, just like the people of Babel felt justified and empowered by their pursuit of self-engineered excellence, any Christian can be deceived into believing their own efforts will get them to heaven. See, the Bible is clear that the only way that we reach God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That our full reliance on him for salvation for the building of his church is, is above anything else. God is first and foremost always concerned about his own glory and the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we are united. We are a united community by God because God has condescended to us and he has brought us together in his son, Christ Jesus. See, as we gather together, even as we gather this morning, we gather united as Christ. United in Christ. And because of him, we are united to one another. Let us pray. 
Holy Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that you have not left us to find you, but that you have come down and you have drawn us near to yourself in the blood of Christ. We pray that you would tear down the towers in our hearts and minds that we have built, God, to access you. We pray, God, that your spirit would bring Christ afresh to our hearts this morning as we heard your word preached. We pray for this, God, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we just take some space to continue to meditate on that word from the Lord. We're going to go back. Um, just sing that verse again from my exalt thee as we, uh, yeah, don't focus on our own fame, but lift up the Lord's name. And so I invite you to, yeah, sing along or just continue praying as you need. For thou 